Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Well, sometimes you do something on this earth that makes you feel like a pretty big idiot. And today, that person who did that thing and feels like an idiot is me. Because that person, me, records a podcast and then takes that audio file and places it into what's known as a multi-track and mix downs the bumper or mixes down the bumper music on the front and the back end and the we used to have the British lady doing the liners and then you upload that file, you save you upload that file and now uh, you got a show. But sometimes that person is so dumb that he accidentally rebumpers the previous day's show because they were almost exactly the same length and he couldn't remember which untitled 26-minute episode was the right one and was in such an obscene massive rush to get the thing edited and posted when he only had like six minutes to do it before racing back out to try to drive his kid from one camp to another that he puts the wrong damn file on the internet And in the process, closes down the program that recorded today's show and deletes the right one. Whoops. Yep. That idiot, yours truly, lost today's episode. But we have a, you guys know, a little bit of an Iron Man streak going on here. And you guys, I'm not going to make you take my word for it that I actually did an episode today. That wouldn't be right. We're going to actually do an episode today. It's just coming a little bit later. So, my apologies. That's why the correct episode now is coming out in the late afternoon. Because, thank you to a few of you kind souls on Twitter who pointed out that today's show and yesterday's show sounded exactly the same. Well, you're right. They are exactly the same show. I'm a buffoon. There was an old, like, the, uh... I think it was like a like a summer camp type of thing. And the counselor was like, repeat after me. And he'd say, oh. And all the kids would say, oh. And he'd say, wah. And all the kids would say, wah. And the counselor would say, ta. And the kids would repeat, ta. And the counselor would say, goo. And the kids would yell, goo. Which is hilarious all by itself. And then the counselor says, sigh. And the kids would go, sigh. And the counselor would finally wrap it up with, say, with yam. Say yam. And you roll all that together and you get the phrase, oh, what a goose I am. So squawk at me. I deserve it today. Welcome to Fantasy NBA Today, version 2.0, here on this Wednesday, August the 3rd. One thing that you will not be treated to in this re-record, because I actually recorded today's podcast originally late last night, uh, and I happened to have the Dodger game on in the background, muted, mind you, but I was sort of glancing over my shoulder at about the 13-minute mark of the podcast, and I saw that they flashed the news on the screen during that game that the great Vin Scully had passed away. And I don't know if you guys realize what a colossal impact Vin Scully had on my existence. And it's really weird to say that about someone that you've only met literally in passing. 
We were both at some fundraiser one time. My father-in-law got an invite through uh, an attorney group he was affiliated with. Vinny was the keynote speaker. And, of course, he invited me because he knew what a big deal that would be for me. This was probably 10 or 15 years ago now. Uh, And so we went. I put that picture on Twitter last night. But to have, I mean, everything that I do as a, uh, my passion, my career, my my non-family love in this world is because I believe I grew up here in L.A. listening to Vince Scully, listening to Dodger games my whole life. And I got out of college. This is the very short version of this. I, I have a completely useless molecular biology degree from Cal. <laughs> Not useless for many. Um, some of you know this story already. I uh, actually got into medical school before deciding I didn't want to go. And at that point, I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. I just knew that I wouldn't be happy as a doctor. My wife is, and I kind of traditional Jewish family over here. We have many of them in the family. Uh, but it wasn't for me. I was always good at math and science. And so I just sort of blindly put my head down and kept doing those things. And finally, one day, it hit me. I don't know what I was, 21, 22 years old at that point, to say, this is not what I want to do with my life. And I had to stop and say, what is the thing that brings me the greatest joy on earth? And it's this. It's Shouting into the void, perhaps, though it may seem. Now, when you're doing a baseball game, which Vinny's done the biggest ever, crowds of 55,000 people going insane in the background. Most of the games I did have had a crowd of about three or 400 getting slowly melted into their chairs by the summer heat of the Central Valley. So yes, obviously the magnitude is very different. But just to have those moments where the butterflies in your stomach, even in the press box, you're toes, your fingers tingling with the gravity, the seeming gravity of a moment. That's my everything. That's why I still do play-by-play in addition to, it's really more of a hobby at this point, uh, but in addition to what we do here at Sports Ethos. Um, So when that news flashed up my TV screen right in the middle of the podcast, I broke down crying while recording. It's not a live show. So you guys missed out on that. I, I Obviously, I can't recreate that moment of just like me sputtering my way through a description of why I have Chris Paul slightly in front of Devin Booker, which I think is around where it was in that original episode. Um, but at some point here, and you know, this is not a fitting tribute. I don't know that there's anything I could do that would be a fitting tribute, but other than to just sort of tell all of you guys that listen to the podcast that are wondering, you know, what is it that makes Dan tick sometimes. Uh, it was Vinny. It was Vince Gully. And so to have, you know, we have our family members, fathers, mothers that you idolize growing up, things like that, your, your, your role models of that nature. So, I, you know, I didn't know Vin well enough to say he's some kind of role model, but he was, to me, the person that I idolize in what I want to do. And so to, to have someone like that who seemed so, such a Goliath of a presence, for that to be gone really nailed me. And then I paused, I had to pause the show for a while, and I finally came back and finished it up, and then <laughs> jettisoned that show into the, <laughs> the ether because I'm an idiot. 
but anyway, um, seven minutes of schmaltz aside, I hope you guys will forgive me this longer intro than usual, because not only did I do something stupid, but it also happened to be on a show that I thought about cutting out my reaction, actually, on that episode, and then I thought, you know what, it's actually better this way. Like, people should hear the the real moment when someone finds out news that is... Not that you guys needed to hear me get devastated on air, but just something so visceral and human. But uh, that's gone now. Also, oops. Anyway, to the great Vin Scully, thank you for your existence, your mere existence, and what it has done to shape my life and to give me sort of the non-family side purpose to my existence. As we say, may his memory be a blessing. May his memory be a blessing. Rest in peace, Vince Scully. Still tough, a day later. So what we had done on yesterday's show, and I think we can do, or on today's show that I recorded yesterday, what we had done was we started the first pass. And many of you know this already because I posted the episode and a description of the episode that I thought at the time was accurate um, and I want to sort of get going on that now. We won't get quite as far just because of time constraints and uh, me being a moron. But what I'd like for you guys to do, and luckily I can kind of see where some of the work I was doing had left off, we are going to make the sausage together on today's show and tomorrow's show and, you know, however many shows it takes here on the first pass. If you don't remember or you missed yesterday's show, the, the real one with Bucketology, the first pass is we go through, and it's a slow process, this is the big one, this is the multiple hour portion of it, you go through every single team in the NBA, and luckily we had team breakdowns, we did through the months of May and June, where we kind of set some names aside, but we need more than that, we need more than that, this is where you go through literally every name on a roster, and decide whether it's someone that could, in any magical universe, have value to be drafted for your 12-team fantasy league. Everything we're doing here is going to be 12-team, 9-cat. We are largely going to be organizing the names by totals. At the top of the draft, we will lean harder into totals, and as we get towards the middle parts of our board of our sorting that you'll see that begin to pivot more into a per game setup it's kind of a sliding scale as again we talked a bit about this on yesterday's show at the top you want to make sure your guys are playing there's a little bit of a calculation there we talked about sort of the Kevin Durant versus some of the guys ranked just in front of him on the roto side by totals but you remember filling in the missed games as well so at the top pretty heavily weighted by totals but not all the way uh, early mid-rounds, you're still leaning totals, you're starting to look a bit more at the per-game side, and then once you get to about pick 50, 60, again, this is Roto Games Cap format, you lean pretty hard into the per-game side of the equation. If you're on head-to-head, as we talked about, I think that was on Friday's show, you want to keep your focus on totals probably an extra two to three rounds longer. But I don't want to spend too much time now on kind of the description of what we're doing because I, I spent a bunch of time on the intro and the show's already coming way later than I wanted to. What we did on my first recording here, we started with the Golden State 
excuse me, the Phoenix Suns, who had the best record in the Pacific Division, and then moved into the Golden State Warriors, and uh, that's when I had my on-air meltdown and just sort of pulled the plug on the episode, but, you know, here we've rearranged it on the second go-round. So the way that I like to do this is, and starting with Phoenix again, first, you look at who had fantasy value on the Suns last year, and... You know, they happen to be a team that had a lot, actually, of dudes with fantasy value. Chris Paul, Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, Mikel Bridges, Jay Crowder, Cam Johnson were all ranked inside the top 100 on a per-game value. And JaVale McGee, thanks to freakishly good durability last year, actually crept inside the top 150 by totals. But we're not too worried about totals in that 150 range, so we're just going to focus on the first six names I mentioned still. Uh, that's more than average for an NBA team. If we're going to get to about 150 players, obviously you can do the math. We're going to be taking about five players per team. There will be some clubs that have like one or two. There will be some that have six. Maybe there will even be a seven in there. We'll see. Then you take a look. So let's just set those six names aside. CP3, Booker, Aiton, Bridges, Crowder, and Cam Johnson. Put those guys off to the side. And then circle around to the Suns' current roster and see, hey, did anybody get added that could creep into draftable? And who on their roster, did any of the guys that had value last year, did they get moved? And the answer, obviously, you know, for someone like JaVale McGee was yes, he's not on the Suns anymore. Not that he was really there per game anyway, but you don't even have to worry about him in this context anyway. Suns brought in a few names, uh, nothing huge. Um, Dario Saric at some point presumably will regain his health. Not not a new name on Phoenix, but sort of new to you because he missed this last season. Uh, Torrey Craig had some value at the very end of the year when Crowder was out. He moved into a slightly larger role. Uh, they added Jock Landale this offseason. Landers Shamit's still there. They added Damian Lee from the Warriors. Josh Okogie. Bismack Biombo, who joined them partway through last year and filled in, at times, somewhat admirably. We know he has these big, big fantasy issues. Um, Actually, I don't know. Maybe Darius Sharch doesn't even come back. Doesn't matter. Point is, you got all those names kicking around in there. The only one in that entire list I would say you, you even give a second glance at is Craig, but that only requires a second glance if we find out going into opening day that one of the Suns' premier wings is out for whatever stretch. And even then, you probably don't need to draft him. He's not missing out on a big deal. So by looking at last year, by looking at this year, I think we can safely just leave the Suns as a six-player fantasy team. And that's fine. So now it's about lining them up. First of all, Cam Johnson, Jay Crowder, those guys are down at the bottom. It almost doesn't matter what order you put them in. I'll leave Crowder just in front because that's where they were this last year. But again, who cares? Those guys are so far down the board that, yes, I know Crowder was inside the top 90 by a hair. It's specialist appeal level stuff. It's not really the kind of guy you're trying to grab with pick. 90 or 95, you're you're hunting someone who has per-game ability. Now, if Crowder's still floating around at, like, pick 135, you know, fine, whatever. Like, you could 
take him and just have him as this sort of buttress against something that goes completely haywire. But there's no interest. There's no intrigue level with those guys. I know that we always talk about drafting the, the old guys who fall too far, but there's a, a, a calculation that has to go into some of that. Meaning, like, if an old guy falls past 95, like if Crowder is not getting drafted at 95, which he won't be, do we care? Like, at pick 130, aren't you taking the stab at a guy who might go top 60, 65, 70 range, and if it doesn't work out, you lose nothing? So go ahead and put Crowder and Cam Johnson at the bottom of your board. And then as you kind of work your way up the list... You get into this DeAndre Ayton, Mikael Bridges discussion, which is pretty heavily now based on are we doing a rank board on totals or per game numbers? I think when you're in that range, which Ayton was in the 40s, Bridges was in the 50s per game last year, not totals, then you're still. Durability still matters a lot in that range. If you get a guy in the 50 range who plays in a ton of ball games, that's actually really useful. That's a positive impact fantasy player, and you're squeezing a ton of games out of them. Aiton, who might be a little bit better per game than Bridges this coming year. And that, by the way, that's not even a guarantee, because you could see Bridges, his defensive stats could uh, grow back up again. Yeah, maybe we see Aiton's blocks come back up. So it's a possibility both of those guys actually take a per game step forward. Maybe they take a step back. It's hard to know exactly. Uh but they'll be pretty close, I would think, on the per-game side. And Bridges most likely has the edge by totals. So even if he's ever so slightly behind him, or if Ayton's like mid-40s and Bridges is around 50 again, I still have Bridges in front of Ayton. Because he just doesn't miss any basketball games. You're still early enough where that matters. I don't care about a guy who's ranked 120 who never misses games. But 50, yeah. I mean, that's why Bridges... Ended up as a second, third rounder a couple years in a row because he plays and he's good enough where it matters. And then you've got another dilemma up at the top of Chris Paul, Devin Booker. Those two guys were neck and neck in pretty much everything. Paul was 19, Booker was 20 per game, Booker was 17, Paul was 20 by totals because Devin played in three more games than Chris. You could easily see that flip-flopping. Paul's injuries were not the kind of things you expect of an old guy, which is like nagging hamstring, nagging knee, nagging back, nagging ankle. Paul smashed his hand, came back way faster than anybody imagined. So all of that points to, dude is old, but whatever's happening to him, you can't really blame on the old. So I have CP3 just ever so slightly in front of Booker. I, you know, I, This one, you're splitting hairs a tad. Chris Paul had a fantastic assists and steals season last year. You could see his free throw number actually get better this coming season if those things trend down at all. Uh, I don't know if Booker goes up much more from where he was. Felt like last year was kind of maxing out for Devin, and that's cool because 20 is pretty good. His turnovers got way better. That was That was a huge deal. Get that number down, and that helped him grow a lot. Free throw, field goal stuff tends to be pretty good for Devin. Steals were up. That might come down for Booker, but I wouldn't be too worried about it. Still, I have him just behind Chris Paul. because I think they played pretty close in the number of games department, uh, much like this last year. And frankly, it didn't matter this year what order you had them in because they were basically the same. 
All right, so now you've got six names on your board, and you go to the next team. Set the Suns aside. We're done with them. The Warriors, who obviously won the title, and there's other handicapping elements that go into this, but who's on the Warriors list that we need to consider? Steph, that's an easy one. He's at the top of our board right now. You don't even need to blink. Then things get a little complicated. Jordan Poole, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green... Andrew Wiggins, last year Otto Porter was on that board on a per-game basis. He's not there anymore, but he was there. Uh, Kevon Looney, Gary Payton actually made it into the list by totals. Payton's not there anymore. He's in Portland. We'll worry about him when we get to uh, the Blazers. Looney's still there, but he only made it because he played in all 82 games, so don't care about that either. So from the last year contingent... You've got Steph, Clay, Poole, and Draymond, and Wiggins, who I think you can flip in there as well. From the what about this year contingent, well, the Warriors lost a bunch of their complimentary guys. They added a few new names into the mix, and then they've got some young guys that we have to kind of keep in the back of our mind. The Warriors have James Wiseman, who hasn't really done anything his first couple years in the NBA, They have Jonathan Kaminga that everybody's very excited about, although we saw there are some pretty good-sized fantasy holes in what he's doing. And then, you know, coming off the championship, the main guys are not going to be getting pushed too hard this year. Boy, are they making a lot of money. Man, the team is crazy expensive. Whatever, that, that doesn't matter. So I think we can probably take Kaminga and Wiseman and add them to our board. I don't think we need to add Dante DiVincenzo. It's asking an awful lot for him to step into basically what Otto Porter's role was and do it as efficiently as Otto did because Porter shot 46% from the field and 80 at the free throw line. DiVincenzo is going to be worse in likely both of those departments. He's not just going to pick up all of Gary Payton's minutes and all of Otto Porter's minutes and all of Damian Lee's minutes. Things are going to get moved around a little bit. But if you really want, you can throw him on there. I just don't think that he has the the minutes or the fantasy profile, frankly, to be worthy of a draft slot. We've seen him play taste starters minutes, and he's still outside the top 100. But if you're worried, we can port him over as well. So now it's about figuring out where we're going to slot these guys in. As far as the guys at the bottom who we just talked about, Wiseman and DiVincenzo and Jonathan Kaminga. I think it's fair, uh, again, we're, you know, we're, we're hunting upside guys at the bottom. You could probably put Wiseman ahead of someone like Cam Johnson or Jay Crowder, even though percentage-wise, Crowder and Johnson have a much higher probability of having actual fantasy value this year in a way that Wiseman almost definitely doesn't. But if you're saying, which of these guys has a chance to be a top 75 player at some point down the line, it's Wiseman. It's not Crowder or Johnson, unless Cam gets moved. It's not Johnson, certainly in Phoenix. It's definitely not Crowder anywhere. And for Wiseman, it's like, well, what if all of the insanity breaks? What if Looney gets hurt and Draymond gets hurt and the Warriors decide to just kind of throw it into autopilot during the regular season? Maybe they just let him go crazy a little bit. Does he even get those minutes over Kaminga? You know, that's another issue to be determined, I suppose. Maybe. 
I don't know that any of these guys at the bottom, Crowder, Johnson, Kaminga, Wiseman, DiVincenzo, actually make it onto my draft board, but throw them down at the bottom, uh, throw those guys maybe just in front of the low upside plays, but it doesn't matter. In the same way that someone like Andrew Wiggins, who was actually ranked behind Crowder and behind Johnson, probably deserves to get drafted in front of those dudes, simply because what he brings later in a draft is harder to find. Now, you hopefully have a little free throw buffer on Wiggins because he does hurt you there. But, you know, teens, high teens in scoring, steals, blocks, field goal percent, not that bad. Did he find something in the playoffs? Probably not. I'm sure he's going to be exhausted in the regular season. But I'd rather have him than Cam Johnson, even though Cam was better by every metric this last year. Something to keep in mind as you build these, these boats out, these buckets. And then you've got the pool clump thompson green dilemma, which is kind of its own little monster. Uh, I went with pool at the top of that trifecta and just behind DeAndre Ayton because I think he's probably in that same mix, and I think I'd rather have the big man there, but probably, you know, in the 40 to 60 range on a per-game basis, probably not as durable as Bridges, maybe a little more than Ayton, but perhaps right behind him in per-game rank. Thompson I have behind Poole because I think he probably settles into the 60 to 80 range per game. He won't be durable. Almost the same exact story for Draymond Green. Uh, although I reserve the right to flip-flop Thompson and Green. Uh, because again, with Draymond this last year, he was playing much better, but he couldn't make a free throw. So then you wonder kind of how does that stuff level off this season? Does the free throw come back up a little bit? But does his effort go down? I think I'd rather have a guy who still maybe has anything to prove in Thompson, say, ah, you know what, I can get back to full strength uh, over someone like Green who got his championship. And you can bet your butt he's not going to be playing that hard until March and April. And that's actually where we put in a uh, pin in things in the original iteration of this episode. I apologize that this turned out to be kind of a weird, chunky version of the show but at least it's the right one this time. No promos on today's podcast. We don't have time for that. I'll do much more of it tomorrow. Other than to tell you guys, thanks for listening. I love the 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 uh, fervor of everybody listening all offseason long. Best offseason in the history of Fantasy NBA today. Check out the Fantasy Pass, which has both football and basketball in it this year only. That's at sportsethos.com. Ethos Fantasy BK on Twitter, at Dan Bespris on Twitter. Have a great rest of your Wednesday. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow at perhaps a more reasonable time. So long, everybody.